0: Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Hey everyone, welcome to the Deep Drinks Podcast. My name is Dave. This is a podcast where the drinks are deep, the conversations are deeper. And today we have Thomas Westbrook, who you may know as Holy Kool-Aid. Uh, Thomas Westbrook is the creator of the popular channel Holy Kool Aid, which boasts 235,000 subscribers and 26 million views, which is insane. Uh, Thomas is a former Christian, now atheist, who promotes scientific skepticism and free thought, uh, helping people build skills necessary to debunk pseudoscience and misinformation. In my opinion, uh, Thomas is one of the most genuine and down-to-earth content creators that are on the platform. Um, He has amazing locks, as you can see. Look at those beautiful locks. I love them. Um, And he speaks at conferences all over the world. Um, So I'm honored to welcome Thomas Westbrook to the Deep Drinks podcast. Welcome, Thomas. It's quite the introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, uh, Thomas, um, I want to start this by saying that when we uh when i was talking to shannon q i mentioned the drink that you chose for uh the deep drinks podcast and she responded by saying of course he chose that um because it is it is a doozy so i would like normally i introduce what we're drinking but i'd like for you to explain what what are we drinking today
1: well can i say the name of the drink on the show or am i allowed to swear yeah
0: absolutely swear as much as you want
1: so the the drink is called an adios motherfucker, and It's basically, it's like a Long Island iced tea in terms of its alcohol content, but you add a, a dollop of this blue stuff to it. And so by the time that, that we're done, we should be uh, thoroughly tipsy at the very least. And the, yeah. reason, the reason that I, I chose this drink is because at the end of every single one of my episodes on my show, I always say, dare to be curious, but don't drink the Kool-Aid go out there and explore, but be careful because, you know, you don't want to be so open-minded that your brain falls out, that you just go chasing off after every cult leader and crazy person that comes along. Now, because I say that at the end of every single one of my episodes, when I started hosting a conference called the Faithless Forum, we would bring content creators, various atheists and skeptic content creators together for a conference. And at the after party, we had custom drinks. And a lot of the custom drinks had names relevant to our channels. And mine was called the Kool-Aid. And what better drink to choose for the Kool-Aid than a bright blue drink that literally has a warning on it saying, do not drink this. Because it is so alcoholic that it will land you on your butt faster than you can say, don't drink the Kool-Aid
0: that is so awesome I'm so glad I waited to hear that story that's awesome I uh and we we mentioned um just before we started this that you have a show to go to after this and I have a family event to go to after this and we're both gonna probably rock up um quite jolly uh to say the least um so we've both got these drinks in front of us we've got to mix them because there's a lot involved right so um do you want to do you want to do you want to give us a rundown how we mix in this drink you're the expert
1: so the the first step is you're gonna take about a a half an ounce of vodka which i believe a half an ounce is what about a shot so i don't
0: know because in in australia we use the correct measurement system which Mm -hmm. we don't use like ounces and stuff we use like kilograms and millimeters because we're you know we're normal (laughs) sorry i was trying to make a joke but You didn't bite. You're supposed to bite.
1: (laughs) Um, So So, I don't
0: know. So I'm just going to go a shot for
1: each. About 15 milliliters?
0: Yeah, but I don't know how much is in a shot. So I'm just just going to pour a
1: shot in for each one. I'm just going to mix it in the big cup and then see if it all fits into the the normal size cup. Yeah. So half an ounce of vodka. And then... Delicious. A half an ounce of rum. And I... I'm not an expert on this, but I think you want to use white rum. At least that's what I've got. So, Well, I've got this fancy ass
0: rum that I got um, for another episode. So I don't know if it's white or not, but no, it's definitely not white.
1: You can use other rums, but I think if you go with like a super spiced rum, it would maybe add a slightly different flavor than what AMFs end up with. But that's okay, because if it adds a little bit of fun spice, it already is kind of a citrusy drink. I'm sure it'll be all right.
0: I'm not. I'm not. I don't think we're drinking this and going. "Mm, The flavors are so complex, and um, (laughs) this serves a very different purpose than the uh, the traditional cocktail, I guess.
1: Exactly. And then um, after that, you get another shot of tequila.
0: Oh yeah, I got this one. Altos something.
1: I just got this uh, Camarena.
0: Oh nice. Did you have all this on in stock, like just not in stock, but just at your house?
1: Most of it. I didn't have any rum but so um, did I. I, I had picked up a bunch of this stuff before because I had some friends over and they wanted to do AMFs while they were here um, <laughs> simply because, you know, it's the kool It's Kool-Aid. a drink. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the Kool-Aid.
0: Don't um, drink the Kool-Aid or do if it's delicious.
1: All right, let me not lose track of what all I've put in there. So now we're down to the gin. Yeah. So I've got boodles of gin
0: over here. I've got the botanist um, who I drank with.
1: Uh, Heathen Queen, I think, I believe. Yeah, I may have poured a couple of these shots too generously. I'm starting to... (laughs) Look at this! Look at this! I'm going to be sloppy. So I need to
0: apologize uh, on behalf of the audience. Um, I have to drink what the guest drinks. I don't want to drink alcohol.
1: They just always seem to choose it. Uh, So I'm going to be quite sloppy by the end. And then the next ingredient is this. I I have heard it called both blue and blue curacao. But I think that when there's a C with a line through it, that's a CH sound. Okay.
0: I've never heard of this before.
1: Who's wrong and who's right, because I'm not exactly an expert in my own drink. I'm I'm just
0: looking at how much alcohol this is, and I actually... like I was
1: kind of memeing before, but I'm actually a little nervous now. This is a lot. This is going to be fun. And now you do four times that with sweet and sour mixed, but I, I don't think all that right. the sweet and sour mix. yeah, it's, it's non-alcoholic unless you yeah. got an alcoholic version No, 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 earlier. oh god, no, I'm just in gonna pour case. mine in and just eye it May God have mercy on your soul Alright And then splash of Sprite um, Yeah, and then, then what you do is you take the Sprite and you fill it all the way to the top I'm gonna put some ice in Is that cool? Yeah, I, I added a little bit of ice in mine as well oh my gosh uh, oh
0: thomas this looks like death warmed up i can smell it it's like stinging my eyeballs
1: yeah then Um, you you can use either sprite or seven (laughs) up oh mine's a little shaken yes it's mine oh the spirit's moving almost got some on my keyboard that would have not been good
0: that would have been a fun
1: interview so now you
0: this is the first time we've mixed drinks
1: on the podcast and I'll tell you what this is fun um it is fun it's it's more complicated than just pouring a shot of whiskey
0: you might be you might be setting a whole new tone for the for the podcast um
1: so then you take a cherry which i should have grabbed a fork but i guess a, a knife i don't
0: actually it. have any of the garnishes unfortunately
1: yeah the garnishes are optional um you can choose you can also add a lemon wedge. I picked up a lime but I can't find my lime so I actually just <laughs> have a cherry. Have
0: you had any have you had any drinks so far? Because you are forgetting <laughs> I can't find the lime. Um
1: yeah I mean I guess I'm after off to a bad start if I uh, <laughs> misplacing things but or a good start I mean yeah but right, I, I, so I already look at this thing misplaced stuff all the time anyways all right so i'm just gonna pour mine in and try not to spill it everywhere (laughs) now the thing is because mine's in a big cup a lot of this is sprite but there's still like five shots or something in here so i have to go through both of these but it's it's not like i'm drinking more alcohol than you by drinking two.
0: yeah well look at this look how the color of mine i don't know what happened to yours mine's definitely more blue yours is darker green.
1: because the you used a uh, a darker color rum oh your, okay yeah the and you maybe it
0: is it. your lift yours up i think your green screen might be
1: oh. yeah your green <laughs> 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 yeah. oh okay, that's funny Oh, yeah. You can't see me behind it, so it's yeah. Weird. Now we're
0: breaking the immersion. Everyone thought you were in this big library. This is oh no. <laughs> oh,
1: no, I'm too so, poor for to that many books. <laughs> oh, how would <how> it be <laughs>
0: though? That's like my dream to be rich enough to own a library of books that I'll never get around to reading. Um. <laughs> uh so this is actually a really good way to start because you grew up religious, like really religious, right? And you probably had never drank alcohol until
1: uh well no not not exactly because so i did grow up very religious but i also grew up overseas i was a missionary kid and in the u.s there there tends to be a very strong kind of strict no alcohol if you're underage type of thing overseas Hmm. it's not as big of an issue and my parents weren't quite as strict like they were strict about a lot of stuff they were super strict about anything sexual they you know were strict when it came to language what movies and shows I watched and they didn't like me drinking alcohol. So like I I kind of didn't normally tell them. But it wasn't this end of the world. Like I remember after I had my I had my first beer, I think when I was 15. And I I bragged to my mom about it. And (laughs) he was she was kind of noticeably upset, but because it was over at one of my friend's house while his parents were there and like it was supervised, she didn't really throw too much of a fit. And then whenever I would go out with friends and stuff, we would, you know, we'd get a couple beers and play some pool. It was in that area. It was a lot less strict than you would expect.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really, that's really interesting. So, um, can you like give us a bit of a a backstory on like your Christian or your, your brought up Christian? Did you have a born again experience? Did you, what type of Christianity were you involved in? Um,
1: yeah. So my, my parents were missionaries, like I said, and the the organization that they were with is it's called YWAM, and it's mm. considered as a I know I know YWAM. It's like a non denominational or multi denominational, but at the same time, it got started kind of in assemblies of God. It's very evangelical. They believe in faith healing. They believe in you know demons and and angels and spirits and stuff. They pretty much everything in the Bible is is taken pretty literally. I think you may have some some people who are not young earth creationists that are a part of the organization, but most of them are fairly fundamentalist, and that was Mm. my upbringing. So I, from the time I was about three years old, I was a missionary kid overseas, and I had a you know I was dedicated to God as a baby. I was baptized when I was seven years old. I you know threw myself into the church had. Devotions every morning, quiet time on my own every morning. Read the Bible constantly, memorized huge sections of it. Went to church every Sunday, youth group, everything. And then, in addition to that, when I was when I got older, and I graduated from from uh, high school, I worked at a church camp as a church camp counselor. I worked at a church as a youth pastor and a um, worship leader briefly, just for a summer. But I also was a missionary in Kazakhstan for one semester. I was wow. a, part of a Christian fraternity. I really, pretty much anything that you could do in ministry, I threw myself wholeheartedly into it, very much believed it, very much um, thought it was true, was completely dedicated to God. And so whenever people, you know, come out, people who don't know me who have these accusations that say, oh, you were never a true Christian or else you wouldn't be. Yeah. now," an I'm like, it, sadly, it doesn't work like that. People can yeah. change their minds over time as they're presented with new evidence and realize that hey there's better explanations for this stuff and i think i was wrong you know yeah uh
0: did you have like a born again experience
1: yeah I, multiple uh, there like there were multiple times when i you know i did the altar call and i you know i prayed the prayer and you know got you know confirmed and and uh in my faith there were numerous times when i felt like i was experiencing the holy spirit i got the the chills, the goosebumps, the excitement, you know, we called it being drunk on the spirit. Cause you kind of just yeah. almost go into sort of like a trance for me. It wasn't like jumping around like these crazy uh, Pentecostal dances so much, but like I would, there were multiple times when I was just like sobbing and like hands in the air, just, you know, praying and, and feeling like I was, I was caught up in, in that, that energy. Yeah. And in retrospect, now when i look back on it it's it's an experience that i've seen replicated in multiple other religions and i've even seen people in these you know crazy concerts where they're just so ecstatic just going nuts because there's justin bieber or there's michael jackson Mm. and they're just almost having this surreal spiritual experience but there's nothing spiritual or supernatural about it. and so because of that when When I had those experiences earlier and then as I got older, I realized, hey, there's these are literally just chemical phenomena that are going on in the brain. Mm. It's very hard for me to claim that that was something supernatural. It was the same experience everyone else around me was experiencing, at least the way that they described it was the same. I, I can't put myself inside their brain, but from everything else that I was hearing, I was going through the same thing they were.
0: Hmm. It's, it is it is interesting. I just released a video. I was uh, interviewed uh, by Michael um the other day and he asked me, like, how do I reconcile these spiritual experiences I have with now no longer being a believer? And my my thoughts were exactly like yours is that, that there are other religions that have these same claims, these same experiences. Um, or my wife, when she would go to musicals, she'd have these same feelings that she'd get in church. Um, so I don't deny that I had those experiences. I just don't attach a truth claim to them. I don't say therefore God is real and Adam and Eve were real and all that. I just say okay, I had these experiences. I, d- I may I may not be able to um, explain it. I think it's probably mostly psychological. Some form of could even be some form of hypnosis for the really insane moments, but um, or some sort of an illusion, I guess. But I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it, it doesn't seem to. It, it would be hard for different religions to all point to the same um, like to all all have s- certain experiences and then you know they're all mutually exclusive, you know what I mean?
1: yeah. and and you know if if you want to kind of look into the the psychology behind it and the neuroscience behind it, we know that these type of experiences that are setting you up for this big thing, this anticipation, there's there's you you get this spike of dopamine. so you feel you know euphoric you feel great in the moment mm. at the same time you're you're stressed because they're calling you forward you're standing up in front of people you're walking forward on that altar call and so you know you've got this tremendous amount of um like adrenaline adrenaline in your veins and serotonin and um, glucocorticoids and stuff so like all of these chemicals are like this the stress aspect of it, but then people lay hands on you and you're getting the physical touch and you've got the oxytocin flowing through you. You just get this sense of like this flood of relief. And a lot of times these chemicals can act as painkillers too. So if they're praying over you for some type of pain that you have, some chronic pain or something in your body, you know, you're getting that flood of relief from that. And sometimes you've got the, the placebo effect as well. If there's certain conditions that maybe have a psychosomatic element to them then you may get, you know, some relief that's, you know, longer term than just a, an immediate Mm -hmm. sensation. And so, so you kind of couple all of that together and you're, you're in a situation where the music is amped up. All these other people are in on it. You know, you don't want to disappoint. You don't want to let others down. You really, really want it to be true. You feel like you've, you've been propped up as this horrible filthy sinner, and now Here's your chance to be clean and to to just lay it all down and you're forgiven. And it's just this flood of emotions and just like, I don't deserve this. I'm unworthy. You have all of this stacked up and it's this perfect cocktail for this kind of experience. Uh, Emile Durkheim refers to it as collective effervescence, where you're in this group state of you know, whether you're moving all together, swaying together, raising your hands together, clapping, you know, doing some some of the songs we would do had hand motions and stuff. Sometimes people would dance. You look at the, the Sufi Muslims, they'll be running around in a circle together. So you're getting kind of this dizzy high in addition to all of this. And you, you add all of that together. And now you're in this perfect situation to where, where you're susceptible for you know, any kind of influence that someone has on you where they, you know, this, this, especially if you have like a pastor who's seen as the authority figure and he's the one who's here to, you know, lay his hands on you and heal you and and cure you and forgive your sins and all this stuff. And all of a sudden you are now, you're now vulnerable to that. You're open to it, but you're also, you feel like there's something more than just the physical. Cause in our day to day, when we're just sitting around the the house watching TV, we don't usually have this, this, you know cocktail mm. of emotions and chemicals exploding in our brains
0: that that is that has to be the most succinct explanation of this spiritual kind of stuff that I've ever heard that is profound because that all makes sense right there's like this this group mentality this it's all it's all kind of happening the 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 flood of uh dopamine that you know uh, removes pain. A friend of mine, um, yeah, he broke his neck and he was in a cast and in a prayer meeting they cut off his um, his cast um, with his broken neck and then dug their knuckles into his broken neck to prove that it was healed. Because he's like, I can't feel anything and then digging it in and digging it in. And you know, he couldn't move his head before that. And um, he was healed. Like he had no issues for three days until he was rushed to emergency again because his neck something happened to his neck and um you know and then it was a big puzzle why did this happen why you know did he have sin did he think of a woman lustfully did he i'm not this wasn't spoken about but this is what people are probably thinking you know why why did it come back is this the devil's
1: work you know whereas in actuality it probably wasn't healed at all he probably Mm. had you know the this the pain relief from like i was saying this this neurological cocktail and then at the same time If he's had this restrictive cast on you know kind of cutting off the the blood circulation and the blood flow just a little bit on like the keeping it stable the skin and all of a sudden they take that off and he's kind of getting a little bit of like tingling sensation back but the pain is still kind of you know maybe Mm. a little bit of relief from yeah not having it so constricted but he doesn't have the support and his neck is still broken and now you've got digging into a person with a broken neck and rather than being like, hey, let's be cautious with this, let's let's go get an x-ray and see if the neck is actually healed. Instead, they're just like, Oh, we if we did that, then that wouldn't be faith. And we we have to believe on faith. Oh, yeah.
0: I just love like you're you you're on the other side of the world, you're in the northern hemisphere on the southern hemisphere, and we just we both have the same, we know the thought process of the so of like these people, like the, the same experience. Yeah. Um how, how did, so like, did, were you, you know, you, you went through spiritual experiences and and, and and things like that. How did you start to question your faith?
1: It was definitely a long process. I didn't just go one day from, hey, I believe all of it. And then there's one little seed of doubt and I was out. It It was a gradual, slow journey. I think that some of the early seeds that I can remember, at least, <clears throat> were when I was in high school, maybe 16, 17, my youth pastor, who was a fairly liberal youth pastor compared to what I was used to, he was an old earth creationist and he believed in evolution. And I remember him telling me that when you go off to college and you learn all of this stuff and you realize that, hey, there actually is a lot of evidence for evolution in an old earth, you don't have to throw out your faith. You don't have to throw out religion. It's okay to believe that you know, the first few chapters of Genesis are metaphorical and that God used evolution as a process to get us here. And so initially I was like, oh, that didn't quite sound right to me, but I was, I became more open to parts of the Bible not being literally true and Mm -hmm. parts of it being, you know, metaphorical. And when I went off to college, sure enough, after a little bit of time, I Started kind of looking into it and taking some science classes and watching TED talks and reading books and realized that this actually is the way that the world works. This is the way that we got here. Evolution is happening. It's been happening for billions of years, and because of that, you know, I kind of started kind of shifting away from this literalist interpretation. And I also I had a friend I remember who, when I was a church camp counselor, he told me that it's okay to investigate your faith because truth withstands scrutiny. So we shouldn't be afraid to scrutinize and, and look behind the curtain because if the Bible's true, no matter how much you investigate, it's going to be vindicated by the investigation. And the mm. truth will always will always still shine out as the truth. And so I was I was open to exploring. And the more that I explored the more that I realized that there was not a lot of truth to this stuff. Like there were elements, there were bits and pieces of history, you know, there were bits and pieces of truth kind of sprinkled throughout. And that's kind of what I've been exploring more lately is is now the historical side of it. And, you know, looking at the archaeological findings and stuff to see how much of the Bible is actually history and how much of it is myth and how much of it is legend. And there's, you know, any historian will tell you that it's difficult to come up with definitive answers for any of that. But the further back you go in time, the less historical it becomes.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Do you, do you find like on a side note, do you find that now that you don't have, I guess, I'll say the burden of faith, the burden of religiosity, I guess, Mm. even though I think religion can do some good things. Do you find that investigating the history, historicity of the Bible and, and the other religions is more interesting?
1: Oh, way more interesting. In fact, investigating everything I feel is way more interesting. There's a passage in the book of Job where basically for for your viewers who the, the odd viewer who doesn't know the story of Job, basically it's this guy who in the Bible, God decided to test him or allowed the devil to test him. And he lost all of his family, he lost all of his wealth, all of his flocks, and he's basically sitting there covered in all of these boils and all of his friends are mocking him saying, you must have ticked God off and done something awful. And Job's like, no, I've I've been righteously following him and I continue to to follow God. And, and even though people are saying curse God and die, he's he doesn't do it. He, he stays faithful to the end. And then when God shows up and gives him all of his wealth back and gives him a new family and all this stuff, then Job's like why'd this happen? And God's like, how dare you question me? Like, were you there when the foundations of the earth were laying? Have you seen the, you know, the marvels of, you know, the the stars and all of this stuff? And the description of it is very, very iron age and limited in its imagination. And as soon as you start to realize how the universe actually works, you, you start to realize that we have probed depths of the oceans and we have you know put a probe on a comet and landed on the moon and it you know looked out into outer space and, and measured exactly what various stars and supernovae are made of and the the lack of imagination in scripture it's so limited in comparison to what science has opened up for us to mm. explore and, and discover and find out and realize that holy crap we literally are made of stardust because the, these stars these planets that we're observing that are coming together all it takes to form a star is like matter inner matter gravity and time that's it and you've got these dust clouds of like hydrogen and the most basic possible simplest elements that over time they come together and all that gravity cr- creates the, a larger and larger mass and that adds up pressure and the pressure makes heat and then before you know it you have enough that they ignite into these gigantic balls that have nuclear fusion going on and they're they're forming harder and you know heavier and heavier elements and these heavy elements when the stars eventually collapse and explode outwards those are the elements that are found in me and you and everyone else and we it, can observe it's, this
0: it's so beautiful hey it's 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 amazing like to think that i remember when i first um started looking into evolution i was just so amazed at the fact that life like we could look back in the in, you know in um geologic column and we could see life progress through and i was just like i looked at you know my um dog at the time who had his um he had his uh uh his uh he was dissected and i'm looking at him and i'm like you're the end of the line like if... 3.4 billion years of evolution. You've gone through like so much. Your your gene pool has been, and you're just dead. You just stop. Or like I'll I'll look at him because he's he was a bit useless. And I go, this is what 3.4 year, billion years of evolution has come to you. Your 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 snotty nose. You you know you got you know floppy ears. Like yeah yeah. And it was just amazing. Like I got such such an appreciation for uh, you know life and the planet and the environment and space. It's just it's incredible. Um, Especially, especially when you, you know, you, when you put in perspective of like, I, you know, I used to think the earth was 6,000 years old and, you know, Adam and Eve were real and and things like that. So it's just such a more exciting thing. I would agree with you so much there.
1: Well, and here's where it gets crazy is you can explore more than just one field. So Mm. for me, one of the most exciting things with this whole process is, Back when I was religious, it was like, okay, this book, this is the truth, and then there's these evil scientists out there that are trying to deceive you and trying to plant seeds of doubt, and they're in league with the devil or whatever else, whatever other reason. They just want to live a life of sin, so they keep promoting this this nonsense. And yet, when I got out of it, or even while I was still in it and I started exploring and looking, I started to realize that it's not just this overarching idea of, like, the scientists – you have people studying ice cores in Antarctica that are digging down miles deep. and they know that in these areas that have permafrost that there's that the the ice is laid down every single year. and it, it's not they don't look by how deep it is, but they can go back and see how many years the ice has been laid down. And the way that they measure this is they take these these ice cores that they drill out and they place them, on a um, on a, a little melting plate. And as the the ice melts, they're using spectrographic analysis to see exactly exactly what the chemical composition is. And so it like melts and you see as it's melting, if, if you look at you know time on the, the x-axis, you're seeing certain chemical fluctuations going up and down at a steady rate. So and basically what, what it's indicating is that as the seasons pass, as you go from, you know, the, the spring to the summer to the winter to the fall, then you have in the air, in the snow, these chemicals, you'll see certain spikes and dips throughout the season. So you might see a certain higher amount of one chemical abundance in the summer, and then it might drop in the winter, and it's a very consistent consistent uh, way that it goes through that. And so basically, they can take these ice cores, and they can melt them on these, these sheets, these, these melting plates, and measure that, and see... Back tens of thousands of years, just using this, mm. and it, it's incredible. Because then there's this, there's overlap with so many other fields. Because they can they can measure a bunch of different things. They can see how much carbon was in the atmosphere at you know ten thousand years ago or five thousand years ago, and they can use these measurements to help better calibrate our other instruments for say carbon fourteen dating, or they can can look at tree rings and look at you know if they, they lay down, you know, certain trees will uh, create one ring every single year.
0: Yeah. And
1: and then other, other trees, uh, or then they can, can look at those trees and see if this tree is, you know, 500 years old, they look at that and they look at another tree that maybe was cut down 500 years ago or or 250 years ago that has some overlap. And they see exactly based off of how thin and thick they are, they can go back. And the scientists have done this with forests, fossilized forests, On top of fossilized forests that like go back tens of thousands of years where there's, you know, a volcanic eruption that would bury it in ash and they'd get, you know, all the trees would uh, die. Hmm. And then there'd be another forest that would rise on top of that one and then it would happen again. And so like you can go way further back and this isn't even using radiometric dating or carbon dating or um, there's various forms of radiometric dating like um, uh, uranium lead and potassium argon and others. And yet every single one of these methods they can use to date things. Uh is another one for dating pottery. And they're all very different ways of dating things. But you can can take objects that you know how old they are. And, you know, if, like, let's say that there's uh, an object that has historical writing and it's tied to a specific person, you, you know that when that person lived because there's, you know, we have a written record all the way back that's uh, mm. unknown. And you can use these measurements and measure it, and you get a measurement that falls within that window. And then you go back further, and it's it's these consistent rates, and you can keep going further and further and further back. And so for the younger hmm. creationists to just come along and be like, nope, it's just the Bible says, the Bible told me so, and there's no <laughs> evidence. Whereas with science, the fact that you can like – you can study chemistry and geology and you can look at these ice cores and you can look at dendrochronology and trees and biology. You can look at the rate at which mutations happen and you can Mm. go back and take a a sample, a DNA sample from, you know, a, an early human that was frozen in ice 50,000 years ago and analyze the DNA. And you see that the the amount that they are uh, distantly related to us Basically, you, know, you, you can do like a, a carbon-14 dating on that, that uh, uh, person, that frozen corpse, and then you can also look at the DNA and see the rate, the, the difference in the mutation from them to us, and it perfectly adds up with the rate of mutation. And yeah. so, you know, Christians will come along and try to say, well, how do you know that the rate is constant? And it's like, okay, well, if let's say that uh, the person was they were mutating at a much higher rate. Well, then you get this little thing called cancer and you die. <laughs> like, you know, or, or if, if the rate of, let's say, of carbon-14, um, the, the the isotope basically degrading into uh, carbon-12, if that rate were astronomically higher to, to where the Earth was 6,000 years old, then if, if it was going through that kind of a rapid, rapid um, change... It would it would be so hot that it would be like the the entire earth would basically be like nu- in this like nuclear eruption yeah, yeah. so y- you really like they, they try to pick and choose like the the you know the, they'll try to discount carbon14 entirely and they'll try to you know discount other yeah. stuff but they 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 do it all you know kind of one at a time shooting things down but yeah like, yeah you have to realize that there's this mountain this absolute gigantic mountain. Of like mm. hundreds of different fields and they're all overlapping and they're yeah. all, they're, if it's a Venn diagram, there's like this circle of stuff that they all agree on and they all confirm and nothing has, has, has uh, disproven this. And that's mm. the theory of evolution by natural selection. It's one of yeah. the most attested two theories. And they're like, oh, it's just a theory. And they, they don't understand what theory is. Theory <laughs> yeah, is-
0: I know, I know. That always yeah. that always that drives me nuts. Do you what's what's what I what I always what I think is the golden standard, and then I'm not a scientist, um, but I love science. But what I what I always love is that when we build these models of reality, we can produce novel, testable predictions. So for example, we're like, okay, the theory of evolution says XYZ. That means that we should see abc at this location they go there they dig up tiktaalik like it's just for that to be for that to like be a coincidence would be mind-boggling or the cosmic microwave background radiation okay this is what the big bang says this is what the math says and then you know I think it was like 15 or 30 or 50 years later it was a long time later um, some scientists were like hey our instruments are picking up something you know they spent a long time researching it they find it's picking up this background radiation they map it to the the math for what should be the cosmic microwave background radiation and it's exactly like it's like point for point mm. perfect representation of what well, they're analyzing
1: and when it's when when they're off when it's wrong they go back to the drawing board and they refine mm. their 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 um, calculations yeah. And they come up with a new hypothesis and they test Mm. it. And if it has predictive capabilities and it's falsifiable and they test it and test it and test it, they're like, Hey, this is fitting all the data. This is pretty good. So, you know, there's times times when, you know, they might get something wrong or they might be inaccurate or something. Of course. It's always science that makes it more accurate. It's not, Mm. Oh, I had a revelation and I prayed about it. And all of a sudden now, you know, God told me to completely overthrow everything that we know about gravity. It's no, the, the theory that we had, you know, with Newtonian mechanics was pretty good, but it wasn't quite accurate enough because once you get out to like the 10th or 20th decimal or whatever, and you're looking at gigantic objects in in outer space, all of a sudden it's not, it's not quite accounting for Mercury's orbit or something. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's like these little things where, you know, they'll, they'll come in and they'll, you know, uh, make a, a a change that explains it better more precisely hmm. more accurately and so it's it's not yeah. like all of a sudden if i were to throw a ball up in the air and it lands back down it's not like oh oh no scientists were wrong gravity actually causes the ball to, to float up and it's you know hmm. there's no such thing as gravity it's like no newtonian mechanics is still incredibly useful and incredibly accurate it's just not quite as accurate because it's not the best that we have anymore we've gotten better
0: yeah Uh, that's the thing too is like a lot of people will when i'm talking to a lot of people i say well science isn't isn't always right or science gets things wrong and i always just respond with like like that same argument with democracy democracy is the worst form of government besides all the others (laughs) well it's like science science is like isn't science isn't perfect but can you think of science isn't like this spiritual like god force that just tells you what's right and wrong it's a the scientific method is a tool and i always ask these people what is a better tool than the scientific method for investigating the natural world the best answer i've ever had um was believing that jesus was the son of god and i said yeah. sorry i said how does that teach us about atoms and they said yeah. i don't want to have this conversation anymore <laughs>
1: I was like, okay, jesus, jesus who told people that they don't have to wash their hands because it's not what enters their mouth that makes them unclean but what comes oh, yeah. Out of their mouth?"
0: yeah Hey man, well, you know what's hot in the in the uh, conspiracy theory world these days is the germ theory of disease is not real, you know. So <laughs> that's another one, one of the hot topics.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Don't. You even... used to
0: be able you used to be able to say to people, "Oh, you don't believe in evolution?" Well, do you
1: believe in the germ theory of disease? But now you can't say that because they go, "No, I don't." <laughs> and it's the same thing, you know, with when you say, "Oh yeah, well, what about the theory of gravity?" And it's like so <laughs> obviously something that has been you know, this, we know that gravity exists. We've measured Mm. gravitational waves at LIGO. Like, yeah, we we know that this is a thing. We can predict exactly, exactly, exactly the orbits of, you know, all the planets to the point where if you go back 5,000 years, 10,000 years, you can calculate exactly where they are in the sky and you can do the same thing moving forward. It's because we understand gravity that we can do that. And yet you have flat earthers that are coming out and saying, well, gravity isn't real it's just uh it's, it's like <laughs> density and buoyancy or something like that
0: yeah it's just
1: it's utter nonsense my, my, and- my
0: favorite thing is when they say um uh, water always finds its level i'm like no it doesn't like no it doesn't what are you talking no it doesn't like for, for one what do you think water bubble water droplets are are they flat no they're, they're round oh, oh that's just a small amount okay what are waves then well that's just wait okay what are tides then like it's like water finds its level like it sounds like a good argument but when you really are when you ask them to explain what any of these other phenomena are they just they just they it just collapses on upon itself like.
1: and, and on top of that it's it's like okay what about what what about the you know if, if you look at if i take this this cup and i fill it all the way to the top and it's the water is kind of sticking up a little bit over the edge because you've got surface tension. You know, they're like, yeah. oh, well, that's just that's just a little bit. Okay, well, what about what about when you instead of just having, you know, the 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 uh, mo- molecular bonds that are kind of holding holding each other together, what if instead you increase that by you know this massive amount? Like, let's say that you have a force that's a lot, a lot, lot, lot more powerful. This huge object, and then they're all kind of held to it and sticking to it, like almost like gravity. But it's like it's like a round object. It's like a globe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's not like, it's not just a couple of of molecules that are, are held together by you know molecular bonds, but in, instead it's it's actually you know a, a larger object with you know a really strong force that's you know yeah all together. <laughs> my
0: my favorite thing. I have um some friends who are flat earthers. Um, and I asked. I've asked them before. I've literally asked them before. Like oh, like. I, I don't want to be confrontational to them. They're quite religious, and I go, "Oh, uh, you're a flat?" And they go, "Yeah." And I go, "Can? Why? Can you tell me why?" Oh, I can't remember. I'm like, "What? You can't remember why you're a flat? Like, why you think the Earth is flat?" No, but I, I but I know it's flat. Can you give me a reason? Like, no, I don't know if I will convince you. Like, but I'm not. I'm just asking for why you think the Earth is flat. I I can't remember, but the documentary showed there's like a coin thing you could do with your eyes and perspective, and I'm like. But wait and, and i said to him, i'm like i'm like i'm not trying to like debunk you or anything i'm just i'm interested like if the earth's flat i want to know about it like i want to <laughs> tell me the secret and they believed it despite being able to even explain why it was why they it is why they thought that like it was it was nuts like
1: yeah it was, uh, some, it was, some smart sounding person on youtube said it and you know, a lot of times I'll see flat earthers that will respond similarly where they'll say, oh, you're, you just believe that because, you know, the, the mainstream media told you, the schools told you, the, the scientists told you. And I would say, well, okay, then go out and test it, like measure it, learn, learn some physics, like actually learn how to do these experiments, learn how to measure this stuff, and then go out and do it. And you'll find that the earth very much is not flat mm. the thing is that they they don't they don't understand that there are millions and millions of people on earth who aren't just taking you know the the media and the, the government at their word like there's people who go to universities and actually learn how to use these tools and how to measure this stuff and how to test it and how to try to debunk it and especially once you get into that the higher levels not just the the undergraduate but once you start getting into to graduate degrees and, and phds you start learning how to explore and test and debunk and try to falsify long standing existing beliefs. And you're encouraged to do that. And you're encouraged to go out and, and try and test and, and see stuff. And if for some reason you come up with some experiment that flips everything that we know on its head and you're able to replicate it and show your work, you win a Nobel Prize. Hmm. And that's yeah, great. It's, it's sad to me when people just say oh well i don't i don't know why this works but it's just it's just true because i i heard someone say it i think that um what i've noticed where's where's our desire to to know Mm.
0: what i've noticed is and and this is going to be insulting to to conspiracy theorists but what i've noticed is and i used to i used to be a 9-11 truther at one stage Mm -hmm. vaguely you know like i used to i watched zeitgeist and i was born into it when i was a teenager but i used to like aliens yeah 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 all that kind of stuff right so like um but the thing is what i've noticed is um is this and i and i'm applying this to myself back then as well is it's lazy it's intellectually lazy to usually to be a conspiracy theorist they're not interested in reading papers unless they can just read the headline and move on um they're not interested in looking into the data they're not they're probably not going to read books on it usually most people they're interested because it's a cool documentary it's a cool facebook post it's a cool um it's it's they, they feel on the in group they they love the dramatic music and stuff and i just yeah. I, it's it's sad to me that that you know if you many times i've, I've said oh like you know a friend of mine said um i, I work for a surveying and town planning company we, we do surveying and we literally have to put in Mathematical formulas into our data recorders to put two D plans on a spherical Earth because obviously over distances the millimeters matter. And you know he he was saying to me, well the alien um, the aliens had to build the py- had to have built the pyramids because the pyramids are so accurate that no modern technology today can replicate how accurate they are. And I was like, and I said, hang on, and I, I looked it up and I was like, how many you know how accurate how square is the pyramid because that's what he was saying, and um. And I was like, we have instruments that record at a height distance of zero point one millimeters, right? Mm-hmm. So, quite a dis- quite a small amount, and that's just basic stuff. That's not like even the high tech yeah. stuff. Um, and these pyramids were like four hundred seconds out or something. It was like a, a mm-hmm. huge, like four hundred seconds out. We can't be three seconds out on most construction sites for shopping centers. Like you're telling what me, do you, pyramid- mean when you say seconds out so um in the in surveying you've got degrees minutes, seconds so you've got 360 degrees and then between a degree um uh, between each degree is is 60 minutes so Mm -hmm. more angles and then between each degree is 60 seconds so so like say if you've got a point here um and you're measuring to a point over here Mm -hmm. that angle between your point and the the backstop Mm -hmm. what they call it um is, is, um, is, is measured in seconds, right? Degrees, okay. minutes seconds. Yeah, yeah. So if you're shooting if you're shooting like a really long backside here, you've got like a really long trig line here, and then you're shooting a small distance here, that's okay. Because even one or two seconds out means that I think one second over 200 meters is two millimeters. Yeah. So, but if you're like five, six, seven seconds the out, yeah, what? if this you, distance gets like yeah. way out, then all of a sudden like you're, you're, you know, a small, a few seconds out can be meters. And of, of, yeah. of difference, and when you're and talking so with, about with pyramids, screw holes,
1: when they they have these massive objects and they're trying to make mm, them at right angles, you're saying instead of being a perfect ninety degree, yeah, it's it's off by.
0: I think it's off by four hundred seconds when I looked it up, or, or it's a, it's it's a large amount, or it might be two hundred seconds, but it's it's far more than than yeah. anything that would accept and, on the most basic dog shit um, construction. And yet, meanwhile,
1: we have, we have precision lasers that can. Yeah. can perfectly cut you know in 3d print stuff precisely yeah. and at yeah. the same time we can go in and make you know computer processing chips that have you know however many billions mm-hmm. of little transistors and stuff in this yeah. little space
0: and, I think I yeah. think where where his thoughts would have come from is the, the the documentary that he probably watched on like Discovery Channel or something about how ancient aliens built the pyramids was was probably something along the lines of we don't know how they did it back then. We don't know how they had the technology back then. And then, so that's probably, and then he's like, we don't have the technology today. This is how the thinking kind of, you know, so anyway, I'm, I digress. We the, the thing is too,
1: like I could, I, whenever someone says we don't know how they did it, therefore they couldn't have done it. I'm like, okay, therefore well, aliens. I, I don't know how my grandma made her famous apple pie, but I know it wasn't aliens. I know that my grandma made the apple pie. I saw her put it in the oven. I've I've seen her take her recipe book out, even if I haven't read it, and I've seen Mm. her come back from the store with apples and start cutting them. So it's 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 like that with the pyramids. We have a tremendous amount of we have their quarries where they dug the rocks. We have written records. Do we really? Yes. I didn't know that. We have their their grave sites. The the literal like the pyramids themselves are in a necropolis they're in a a giant they're surrounded by tombs so when people say like oh well they couldn't you know there's no way they were you know meant to bury the pharaohs and these things it's like it's literally in a graveyard the quarries are right there next to it we have their sleds that they hauled them on we have depictions of them hauling these blocks on sleds we have like the the homes of the workers we have the tools of the workers we have all of this stuff we know that the egyptians built the pyramids we, oh, have, do we you have mean right the
0: two million israelite <laughs> israelites who
1: <laughs> who somehow never have shown up in the archaeological
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um so thomas i want to keep this um on on topic but i do have this uh or well, not on topic but on time and i've started to feel the booze hit me so i thought this is a perfect time hopefully you're also feeling it to do what I like to so call... faster? <laughs> what I like to call... Um, I did this only once before with Shannon Q. And you've both been on a lot of talk shows. You were on Talk Heathen. I'm not sure if you've been on The Atheist Experience. Um, but you, you get a lot of call-ins. I've been on mm. a lot of call-in shows. And it's called Atheism Destroyed. Checkmate Atheists. And I'm going to... I've got 13 questions. Um, and I'm going to see if you can get through all 13 of them. In the in in under three minutes so that this is the game okay okay so I'm um, they're, they're typical just questions rapid like
1: fire.
0: rapid fire so they' are typical questions like you know uh, that you'll hear all the time like um if they're a monkey uh, if we came from monkeys why are there still monkeys and mm. you'll be graded and I'll let the audience decide against Channon Q she got it done in two minutes and 28 seconds um and you'll be graded on the quality of your answers and the speed at which can you beat her speed okay Can I just respond with God you can respond. You can respond. <laughs> <laughs> you can respond however you like, okay? So, these are 13 questions. Uh, are you are you ready? Are you are you down for this uh game? Oh, the the alcohol's hitting me, but I'm let, let's, let's let's give it a shot. It. Okay, so I'm going to start the timer now. You say you don't believe in God. How do you explain sunsets?
1: I mean, the sun goes around the earth, and once if we're right here and it's over here, then it's blocked from view. Where do you get your morals from? We devise them. We talk to other people. We see what harms society and what benefits society, and we're able to improve them over time rather than being stuck in the Iron Age.
0: (laughs) Why do you hate God? I don't. (laughs) um don't seashells on the top of mountains prove noah's ark
1: no they prove that when you have tectonic plates and one of them is like pushing down into the other one as they're shifting around and it causes a mountain range to to push up then if it was previously submerged then you'll end up with seashells
0: awesome what about um what about the second law of thermodynamics
1: i mean the the second law of thermodynamics what about it that it's and abiogenesis. no okay. because 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 on the whole our our system's not a closed system Thermo- the second law of thermodynamics only applies to a closed system we've got the the energy from the sun if you go back to the the origin of the universe and you look back it was in a less entropic state it's in a more entropic state now but um whether or not it, the, the second law of thermodynamics also says that it tends to decrease, it doesn't say that it's a hard and fast always will, and we don't know if it applies outside of this universe. Oh wow. If we came from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? Um, well, why are there still you know what if 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 we came from dirt, why is there still dirt? If we came from you know, if, if Americans came from British people, why are there still British people? Technically, humans are still apes, we're still a part of the, the same clade, but modern-day monkeys and humans share a common ancestor. We didn't come from modern monkeys. We came from a common ancestor. What if you're wrong? Then I'll change my mind if I get better information. You just have to have faith. It's not really a question from a statement. I I mean, I don't really see the value in that. I I don't want to believe. I want to know. Where are the transitional fossils? Um, There's tons of them. There's um, a crap ton of of transitional horse fossils there's transitional whale fossils that go back to like land mammals there's tiktolic there's um archaeopteryx there's and and here's the thing those are the most famous ones but if you actually like go and talk to a paleontologist there are literally thousands if not millions every single fossil is technically a transitional fossil and you can see how they they are related to each other genetically um, if they're more modern and we can can analyze the, the genome. And when you go further back, then you can see um, in terms of uh, the uh, shape and, and size and stuff of the bones and, and whatnot, um, morphologically, how they are related. Evolution is just a theory. I mean, there's a lot of theories, gravity, germ theory of disease, but we already talked about that. Relating um, to
0: the Big Bang theory. A, oh, sorry. A, theory
1: is, a theory is the highest standard that, that you can reach in science, period. It explains okay. why something works. It doesn't state, yeah.
0: <laughs> Relating to the Big Bang Theory, where did the exploding star come from? I'm reading these out as a... Where did
1: the exploding star come from? I mean, there's there's a ton of stars. Um, basically, all you need, to, like I said earlier, is, is gravity, matter, and time, and matter causes as gravity causes matter to coalesce into clumps of matter that then erupt as there's a lot of pressure
0: uh we have only one Lucy when um have we found why have we found more than one of everything else
1: I don't think there's only one because uh, Lucy is an australopithecus afarensis I believe and I'm pretty sure we found quite a few and, <laughs> okay. and and the thing is there's there's like fossils are sparse there's there's the the fossil record you know it's it takes a lot for a fossil especially an older one to be preserved And yet the fact that there are, you know, hundreds of millions of different animals and some of them had larger and smaller populations and we're not digging over the whole earth, but like the longer that we dig and the more time that we look for this stuff, the more fossils we find.
0: And last question. The Bible says that true Christians will be hated and persecuted by the world. Doesn't this content, um,
1: doesn't your content prove this point? I mean, I don't force anyone to watch my content. (laughs) I don't don't persecute anyone if they want to turn off and unsubscribe and close the the browser. They're absolutely welcome to. <laughs> okay. Well,
0: you had some very thoughtful answers, but you did um do it in 4 minutes and 40 seconds. So oh no. You've, you've lost I'm to Jean-Q. But I think your answers were pretty I'll get you uh, next thorough. time, Shannon. <laughs> oh, that was great. Um there there's some there are some funny questions in there and
1: you could just just like cut out and splice out all the pauses and well the
0: the the problem is too i was so drunk in the shannon episode because it went for like three hours that like i was like like stumbling the words like i was trying to read Mm. and i wasn't getting it done right what was Um, her what was her drink of choice um she chose to drink a specific type of rum of course, uh, and that i couldn't find i couldn't find it anywhere in australia Um, Mm. so I got this fancy ass rum here and then turns out she couldn't even get her type, the type of rum that she thought she had. So she (laughs) she couldn't get that either. So she ended up drinking this like bottom of the barrel rum that she just had in the pantry. And, and I was like, this is perfect. I was like, because Shannon just drinks rum. I was like, this Mm -hmm. is just, you know, so ended up being, uh, it's no, it's, um, well,
1: this one was, uh, this, Mm
0: uh you can't probably not gonna load
1: does she does she drink rum uh just straight or does she prefer like no we
0: we had coke zero with it so it's
1: like a rum and coke so
0: moving on to like your activism um Mm -hmm. so oh you i can tell like already that you're like a strong advocate for scientific um you know scientific skepticism um progressive values um things things like that um can you explain like after you you kind of um deconstructed your faith how did you get involved in activism?
1: Not intentionally. <laughs> I I started my channel initially because I I had some experience with video editing. I'd been making Movies since I was in in high school, I'd, I'd messed around and made some videos on my phone, just kind of like weird magic trick, you know, by pausing and playing the camera. I'd made some stop motion Lego videos, which I still think are are good, but they were pretty bad. But I'm I'm proud of them as as my earliest stop motion endeavors. And because of of that, because my my family was super religious, and because I always felt like whenever I would try to talk about religion or have conversations about things that were remotely conversation controversial, my family would tend to interrupt and cut me off. I have a suspicion that they may be as ADHD as I am. But uh, <laughs> so I I thought, hey, if I make these videos on YouTube, I can simply share the link with them and they can see the videos. And that way I don't have to have an argument they can simply watch them and be like, huh, okay, so that's his thought process. That's why he's not going to church anymore. That's why he's, you know, no longer believes in hell and demons and stuff. And so I, I made a couple videos. Didn't share them with my family. I I kind of chickened out a little bit because I still was sort of a brand new fresh atheist. and I had no idea what I was doing and how to talk about this stuff. And I was not as confident in my position or as, as um, well read on it. And over time, I I think I put out a video in 2015 and then I, I didn't make any content for like months at a time. And it wasn't this, hey, this is going to be a full-time thing. And then I, I made a couple other videos and I shared them to a couple of atheist groups. And I saw that you know people were subscribing and, and following. And I'm like, hey, this actually could grow into something. And I saw a lot of fundamentalism here in the South. And right around this time, Trump was getting elected. And I was very concerned with the direction that my country was going in and and radical evangelicalism and Christian nationalism and the effect that it was having on the US. And I decided I was going to start talking about it more, you know, full time. But I, I, I started putting out videos that were a little bit more uh comedic but insulting i i put out a, a series called <laughs> um animated bible myths and basically yes. God, god's name was dingleberry yeah i and saw that one it's it's not the type of content that necessarily will win people over it wound up those were the videos that some of my family found and they were just insulted by it and yeah. upset and so i i kind of discontinued that series for a while and went more with, you know, exploring topics and trying to explore ideas and not attack people or make fun. But I still, I throw in the occasional jab at people like John Hagee and other, you know, pastors who are, you know, particularly toxic.
0: Yeah, the but, Greg Locke types.
1: Yeah, as as my channel started taking off, I decided, "Hey, I I think I want to do this full-time. I think I can do this full-time. There's there's sort of a gap in the niche where people had been making atheist content from about 2007 until about 2012, and then a lot of the atheist content creators on YouTube kind of shifted to talking more about social justice and social issues and politics and feminism and stuff. And there was a there was a void where no one was talking about religious fundamentalism and atheism. And as a new atheist, I felt that void pretty hard and I desperately wanted to have a community. And I figured that the best way to find a community would be to build one. Mm. And so I I started making content. I started reaching out to other YouTubers and and promoting them and collabing with them and uh, forming Facebook groups and bringing people together and eventually set up a conference and would, fly people out and meet them in person and and have them speak at the conference. And we'd bring dozens of people in. And, um, over time I kind of surrounded myself with other content creators. And now some of my best friends actually live here in Austin and are other, other YouTubers and stuff that kind of got started similarly to, to how I did and are also atheists and stuff. So it, it wasn't this intentional deliberate thing initially. But then as I saw the direction that the country was going, I decided that I was gonna cash in my savings, my retirements, and um, I actually flew overseas and I, I lived in Southeast Asia for a while, just trying to make my funds stretch because you can get a really cheap apartment and cheap food. and there's a lot of co-working spaces with decent speed internet in um, Vietnam and Thailand. And so I, I lived there for about six months. And kind of up oh, in like awesome. a, just like a small town um up north, Chiang Mai, and then I, I oh, on an oh, island. I, Mai. I lived on an island called Koh I I went to Vietnam. I was in Hanoi and then Ho Chi Minh City, and I I didn't get to to do as much like touristy, like vacationy type stuff because I was working basically non-stop i was working like 12 hours a day because i was terrified that my channel wasn't going to take off in time to be able to be self-sufficient yeah but i really poured my heart and soul into it and it really took off and then i came back to the states and started doing the conference circuit and speaking and stuff and then got invited to other places i, I flew out to australia a while back for a conference I, I spoke at a conference in israel i've you know i'm speaking at this one in indiana coming up i've done ones in California, Texas, pretty much all over, and it just kind of became a thing that because I was passionate about talking about this stuff, and because I, I, you know, have experienced a lot of religious fundamentalism myself, I really wanted other people to not feel alone and to know that there, there are others who have gone through this stuff and who have been where they are and who have Mm. have come out of it and who've who've come out of it and turned out okay, that Mm. things do get better. Even if you feel initially frustrated and angry, like you've been lied to, or you feel depressed and sad, like, how do I find my purpose? That there is a brighter side on the other side. And if you keep going and you keep pushing through, you can deconstruct and you can heal and you can recover from the religious trauma and the baggage that it's exciting to explore and learn how the world works, that you can find a community, even if you have to move somewhere, that there are other people out there and that you're not crazy and that it's okay to be curious. It's okay to explore and to learn this stuff that in fact, it's it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that by creating a community and bringing people together and setting up a conference and, and making videos that there's been a lot of people who I've been able to help and that's kind of continued to fuel me and the, the amount of encouragement and love and support that I've received, you know, sure. I've I've gotten hate comments. Every, every YouTuber does. I've I've gotten death threats and stuff, but like it's, it pales in comparison to the number of people who are supportive and who share my content and who support my work on, on Patreon and stuff, both financially as well as just like sending emails and saying like, Hey, like you, change my life for the better and so it's it's hard to stop now because you it's it's a very um fulfilling thing it's it's a you know i i could have stayed i was working an it job and i was going and showing up and, and sitting in a cubicle all day and just staring at, at lines of code and, and database stuff and i hated my job and i hated what i was doing cuz i didn't feel i didn't feel like i was doing something that and it's not that those jobs are bad it's not that those jobs aren't needed and that they aren't good like i was working for a university that like i that i i attended and that i loved but and you know you can always do jobs like that and pay your bills and then also do something on the side that's you know a, a cause that you believe in but being able to do the cause full time has been immensely rewarding. Mm. So, it was a long winded answer to a short question.
0: That's a, that's a, like, I mean, yes, it was a long winded answer, but it was actually a beautiful answer. Cause I, I felt, I felt that whole, that whole thing there. Like a, a big thing for me uh, when I was like, you know, deconstructing my faith is, is, is looking at, um, I think I, I shot off emails to various, you know, people um just saying like you know thank you you've helped me feel comfortable about about things because it's a very like i say this to people all the time that when i was questioning my faith it was one of the most heartbreaking scary um traumatizing experiences of my life but also exciting it was this weird like dichotomy all of a sudden i could look at fossils and go oh wow they like i got one up here 65 million years old what the fuck? I bought it at Australia Zoo for like thirty bucks. It's a little fish, and I'm like, what? I'm like, this is crazy. This is real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this isn't like scientists, you know, or the devil planting
1: fossils to try and fool people. This is real. Like I was like, this is really. People don't realize that there are literally millions and millions of fossils, mm. and you know, you, you probably won't be able to to easily get a hold of a affordable T Rex skull intact. But because they're cause, land animals, well, because they're, they're so they're not just incredibly old, but they're also, um, to be able to be preserved and intact as big as they are and, and all this stuff, like it's it's it, it's it's harder to get a specific fossil too. But if if you were to find something like a trilobite fossil, there's literally just like a Dillions. ridiculous, <laughs> yeah, ridiculous was... number. Like you just go and start digging and you'll you know stumble across something, mm. but. That that's might be true. a slight I've, overstatement but like if you dig in the right places you'll absolutely yeah
0: i've got a book on trilobytes up there and i was like oh Trilobites are cool i've n- i have have not opened it yet but i've it's there ready for when i'm feel the call um i just want to we've only got a, a little bit le- a long uh, left um in the interview but i do want to jump over some quick questions if that's okay um so some of these are from um uh, my discord audience um So one person asked, uh, do you recall the conversation with Jamie um, on Talk Heathen where you dealt with Darth Dawkins, who was called EF at the time? And if so, what did you learn about
1: presuppositional apologetics? I've been on a lot of call-in shows. (laughs) That conversation comes up more (laughs) often than any other conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's because... Darth Dawkins has a reputation among the calling community of being the most insufferable close-minded. He's,
0: he's so insufferable. So, so
1: fundamentalist insufferable. on a script where he starts <laughs> off on, "Hey, I want to get from here to here. I have made up my mind. Yes, yeah. good argument. I am not willing to listen to a single thing that someone says, yeah. and I'm going to stay on script." even if you don't bite and you have something that completely destroys my initial my initial (laughs) premise i am just gonna railroad through and keep going and not listen and that call i think most calls on on talk even (laughs) usually around like maybe 20 minutes maximum yeah that call was like over an hour i could be wrong it, it I, no crazy. it
0: is i'm only like 20 but, minutes into it and uh, it I was
1: painful just... and we, we went so far over time with that show and i'm surprised that jamie didn't just like cut it off and say hey we have to go to caller." <laughs> but um it, i mean it was, it was good viewing i guess like people were comments funny and, and people were pissed off and saying i I'm never gonna watch again if he calls in but at the same time like they're they're all talking <laughs> about it true. and sharing it and getting you know upset and stuff but presuppositional apologetics is frustrating because it it the, the conclusion is presupposed before they even begin yeah exactly and,
0: and it's like if you put in it's like they're a computer program and unless you put in the correct string
1: it's mm-hmm. just it just like nope can't can't get past that section and compute. yeah it does not compute yeah I think there was a part in that conversation where I was just like... Because he he goes by a bunch of pseudonyms. I think his pseudonym at the time was like EF or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, EF, hear me out. And he just like rattled off and I was like, EF, sugar muffin. Like, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And I have
0: to... I'll link this in the description. People need to check it
1: out. He... It, I think it caught him off guard that I called him Sugar Muffin. Sugar muffin. <laughs> but then he he didn't quite know how to, to come back. And so he started like calling me baby cakes and like a bunch of other stuff. And just, really? Like, he he I need to watch this fully. He did like to an excessive amount, to a socially awkward amount. Like he just like kept on reusing <laughs> the same people that like I had and it just <laughs> <laughs> kind of felt flat but um he's, I, so I'm he's he's something else
0: yeah he's like a walking meme at this stage I would I'm gonna have to watch the rest of that because I only got 20 minutes in like I said and I'll link it in the description for people to check out um <laughs> what advice would you give to yourself when you first started doubting if you could whisper in your self's ear oh
1: that is a good question that I have never been asked on a show before and I'm amazed that I haven't been that is a really good question I think I would say that it's okay. It's okay to explore. It's not the end of the world. That there is a big, bright, beautiful universe out there at your fingertips, and that because truth withstands scrutiny, dive in, dive in, and drink deeply of the the, the knowledge that's at your fingertips.
0: That's that's a great. That's a great response um so i asked this i had michael jones on, on the deep drinks uh, a while ago um and he yeah gave i was watching some, that episode
1: yeah yeah he was it was it was good um he so he, he i, I, asked I him, like i like michael he's he is we, we disagree on a lot of stuff but i've, I've yeah hung out with him in person i, I think he's a good guy I I will always if someone is a
0: Christian, um, like that I that I know, and they they're not um they're not unconvinced of the existence of God like I am, um, and they're like I'm struggling with this. I'll always point them to Michael Jones's channel because I think he is. I've always said this. He's the most honest an apologist can be. I think, I think from what I've what I've discovered, his his content like he he, he accepts evolution. He's mm-hmm. also a great guy. He's funny. He's yeah. um.
1: I <laughs> he's, I feel bad because I I did. I did a I did a synopsis slash review of the debate that we had, where because we, we had a debate in person on is Christianity dangerous? And then my one of my my editor, Eric Murphy of the, the Skeptic Generation uh, YouTube channel, it, formerly he was he was a show host of Talk Heathen. We sat down and we watched through the debate or parts of the debate. And basically I got Eric's feedback and, and I responded on stuff and I feel bad because I, I don't think that I gave Michael Jones enough credit um, because I, I don't think that Michael Jones is a dishonest person. I don't think that he is trying to deceive people. And I don't think that he is acting in bad faith and and he's intelligent and he's smart and he Mm. looks at this stuff there were things in the debate where i think it was a little bit um a little bit how do i say this like tactfully like there were elements where he would say things like some of the benefits of religion are like increased attendance of like i i i don't want to misquote it but it it was almost mm. like one of the benefits of religion is that people become more religious. Like it's, it seemed kind of circular and I didn't catch that until afterwards. I didn't bring that up in the debate, but there, there were elements of it that felt a little bit like eh, kind of off mm. to me. And then there were a few things that he said that Eric pointed out that I hadn't caught that were, that, that seemed a little bit uh sly, but I don't, necessarily think it was intentional in retrospect Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: i he's someone who i would not hesitate to talk with and engage with and work with in the future and i want to see better bridges built and i think he's someone who is is willing to call out bad actors within his own circle and his own community and is he, he
0: just did a he just did a one and a half hour live stream with kent Hovind's two ex-wives mm. and called out kent Hovind. yeah i was for... watching
1: that earlier today
0: mm.
1: yeah
0: yeah I, I i i you know i said thank you for this um because i think it's important to call out domestic abuse and things like that and
1: and ken elvin responded
0: to it in the comments <laughs> i know i love it so much oh he's such a uh, he's a meme he's more of a meme than any um well the bible sales um than uh
1: anyone um yeah. so I, I i disagree with michael on a lot but so do I. I don't think he's a bad guy and i like he, he seems like he's he's very curious and he's inquisitive he's not a young earth creationist i don't think he's a you know radical fundamentalist or anything and and i i I feel like in my response video i may have burned a bridge by like I i think my response video made it sound as though i was assuming his intent in a negative way and and to some extent i think i may have done that and i like michael if you're seeing this then like that that wasn't my goal um, but I, I should have been more. Um, I definitely charitable. should have, have been more charitable. Yeah.
0: The the thing with Michael is, um, like, uh, I disagree on on many of his um, conclusions. Um, he's more educated than I am, um, but not, not that I think that matters for a lot of the things that we're discussing. However, if there was, you know, he's probably in the top five people that I that I've spoken to in real life that I would love to have another beer with because he's mm-hmm. just. We could just go on for days like he's um we just he he, he doesn't he, he's, he doesn't seem i can engage with him in a way that i i never feel like he's trying to be dishonest or like mm-hmm. you know um anyway the two the two questions i asked him just to because we're running out of time here is um what do you think is the best argument for the existence of god and on the contrary what do you think the, mm-hmm. is the best argument against the existence of god which god oh, you just, that's kind of, uh, let's go with, um, well, I mean, are you answering that or are you genuinely asking? No, no, no,
1: no I'm, I'm genuinely asking because like, uh, th- it's, it's and, and the reason that I'm, I'm saying, I'm not saying it as like an atheist gotcha like, well, which one? Because the, the, the reason that I want to make that distinction is because I feel like all too often when religious people ask, why don't you believe in God? What they're asking is, why don't you believe in the Christian God? Because it's the one that's most of the English speaking world thinks of when you say God. Mm. And I think that's a really, really, really huge difference from any God. So well,
0: what if we broadened it to the existence of a creator? Okay. So like the God of classical theism.
1: Yeah. I, I think that this is going to sound like a somewhat of a cliche answer, but I do feel like the fine tuning argument is one of the better arguments for God That um, now that that creator could be a simulation designer. It could be a an alien that's creating a bunch of different universes as like a fuel source, and is just like fine tuning and you know calibrating their instruments. And they have and we're super super tiny, and they're super huge. I have no idea. It it could be any number of like an unlimited possible you know variety of different gods i don't necessarily find that option as very convincing and the reason that i don't is because it's it ultimately comes down to an infinite regress of what is the origin of of that god and if we know that by by studying Um, biochemistry and by studying astrophysics and astronomy and looking at where stars and the universe and and, and everything came from, we're getting a pretty good picture of the puzzle. There's still a lot of missing pieces, but you don't have to have every piece to have a pretty good idea of what the, the puzzle is a picture of. And what we're finding is that a lot of this stuff just happens naturally and we can create a lot of these steps in the lab or observe them either in in outer space or you know happening on their own in laboratories we see a lot of the early building blocks of life just forming on their own naturally and then coming together and coalescing into larger more complicated objects um i believe jack shostak has done a bunch of work on this at at harvard university um there's there's others I, i have a whole series called the story of life Right now I just have three episodes in it, but it talks about links, um, links a biogenesis. And the more that I, I look at that, the, it it just makes sense that this stuff came about naturally. Now, were the original laws of the universe pre-programmed? Potentially, are there multiple universes out there? Well, it kind of is a... Like, if, if you believe that string theory is real, then that is kind of a... Um, that the math implies that there would be more than one one universe. And so it's it's not just that people are postulating this to try to get out of the God hypothesis. It's that the, the theories that we have to try to best explain the way that the universe works do indicate that there could be more than one universe. And if there's an infinite number of them, then eventually in one of them, we're going to see that the laws of physics that would allow for life and so and we would only exist in that universe because we couldn't in the others so the the question for god is is if we know that we could come about naturally maybe there is a god that created us maybe we aren't the first step but you keep tracing it back and something like it's got to come from somewhere especially if time is there is some form of time even if it's not our time even if it's out if this god is outside of our space time if it's in its own form of space time because it has cause and effect then somehow this god has to have some origin the notion that it is completely eternal and yet is outside like is is not affected by cause and effect and is is able to take actions but is outside time like it doesn't make sense the question is, where does this God originate from? How did it, like, how did it get there? And mm-hmm. to me, it, it seems like if, if you go far enough back in time to the, the very beginning of the universe, you have an incredibly, incredibly simple starting state where, you know, you, you have the most, the, the, the lightest possible elements in the universe and nothing else. And then they slowly form into the, these heavier elements into in stars, and you have nuclear fusion, and then you have, you know, uh, biochemistry forming us through abiogenesis, and we can see a bunch of these steps, and we know quite a bit of information. So, my question is like, if if we know that you can get from this really really simple stuff to us naturally, why do you need to posit something else? And if mm. you do have something else, where did it come from? Like, or, or was it the first thing that came from nothing? Maybe it exists, but I, I don't see any evidence of it interacting or, or upturning the laws of nature. Every miracle that I've seen proposed has natural explanations as well, or they're, they're unfalsifiable, unprovable anecdotes at least the the things that i've seen in my life that have been attributed to the miraculous have had far better natural explanations so that's that's kind of my reason for pumping the brakes when it comes to the god argument and for holding on to a, a little bit of doubt in that regard
0: that's that, that's that's really that's a really thorough answer um, just because we're right at time here, I'm, I'm going to skip a couple of questions and jump straight to the last question and a bonus question. Mm. Bonus question is just a bit fun. Last question. What, if anything, would change your mind?
1: That's, that's a question that I have... I've thought about extensively and I've had various answers at various times I think if <clears throat> when it comes down to the Christian God, there's not very much that would change my mind at this point because I've studied too much about the ancient Israelite culture and the Canaanites and the the origins of the religion to where it's so obviously man-made. It has so many external influences. It has so much like there's there's so many elements of it that are and, and like it's it's obviously man-made in addition to the internal contradictions, in addition to the, the mistranslations through history, the, the, the lack of divine preservation, the just poor hodgepodge way that it was put together, the scientific inaccuracies, the the horrible way that it's been communicated that is anything but divine and and historical inaccuracies and failed prophecies there's there's so many things in it that like i don't think that there's anything at this point that can change my mind about the christian god and most other religions in terms of another god some other kind of you know if we're living in a simulation or something like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm agnostic on on that front. I, I feel like if God were all knowing and it was an omnipotent, omniscient, you know, God that sees everything and is everywhere at once, it would know what it would take to change my mind. And if it was omnibenevolent or all loving, that then it would do what it takes to make sure that it saves me. Unless hell is imaginary, which I think hell is also man-made. Oh, so yeah. maybe it doesn't care. Maybe it doesn't matter to. The deity, mm. if I believe or not, and the fact that I am being a sincere, genuine skeptic pursuing the truth wherever it leads, maybe that's the test and I'm passing. Um, and that a failure of the test would be blind credulity. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I'm open to having my mind changed. I'm I'm open to going where the evidence leads. I don't know exactly what it would take because I know that our minds can deceive us. We can have hallucinations. We can have false memories. We can, you know, think we see something that we didn't. Um, But I I think if there was a way to, to measure it and test it and, you know, see maybe through like a a prayer study where only when you pray to one specific God, you see people like regrow limbs and stuff that otherwise doesn't happen naturally. And it consistently happens. And then maybe like a deity steps in and, and takes credit for it. And, you know, it's defies the laws of of physics and and everything that we know about the universe, I would definitely be open to, to reconsidering, but I, I don't see anything like that. So as of yet, I'm, I remain an atheist towards almost every single God I've ever heard of, um, but agnostic towards the notion of a potential creator.
0: Mm. And just on a side note, Um, I'm also an atheist to every single god that I've heard of, and I um, spent four and a half hours on this channel reading out the name of every single god in existence. Um, And holy crap! Should I have brought a glass of water because I had this one little tiny glass and I was sipping it, and by the end my throat was screwed for days. Four and and a half hours took me. Those those
1: are just the ones that you know of.
0: That they're just the ones that were on the Godchecker.com website, and Mm. they have all their peer-reviewed sources. But I'm sure. There are
1: millions of gods that are lost to time. I I believe that there's there's a common trope that I I think Hitchens put forth that it's like there's 30,000 gods or some specific number. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a gross misunder like underestimate of the number of gods. Like there it's in millions.
0: Just think about like the the dawn of recorded history. What like six thousand years ago or something? Like roughly like Mesopotamia, like th- humans have been around for a little bit longer than that. So it's like you know well, the, the yeah.
1: various indigenous gods of different parts of of Africa, of Haiti, of of you know the various Hindu gods, the South American gods. Like not to like a lot of them haven't even been recorded. We don't yeah. even know the names of them
0: you know Australia has even
1: even the Canaanite deities you know we'll see these these pillar figurines that we assume are Asherah but we don't know like maybe it's something else
0: Australia has the oldest living uh culture in the world which is the Australian Aboriginals and um they've got like I was amazed to read out and mispronounce hundreds (laughs) of their gods um by the end of the four hours by the way I was saying um I was saying the word Saint but I was saying slash because my Mm. brain was so fried anyway last question this is a bonus question and then you can go um favorite afterlife so I'm gonna what would be your favorite afterlife and as soon as you say I like this afterlife it becomes true what afterlife would you choose so that includes reincarnation that includes the typical heaven that includes Rick and Morty when he takes off the goggles Mm. and he's in an alien arcade whatever you want
1: oh god (laughs) <laughs> literally <laughs> so in terms of like philosophically interesting i was going to answer that way but then you said as soon as i say it it comes true for me Yeah. now i'm, I'm like a deer in headlights because i want to have like the, the perfect after light but um I'll, I'll stick with my in, uh, initial original yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating and that's if you've ever read the short story the egg by andy weir it's um I believe it's it's the same author who wrote the the Martian. If you've seen the, the movie, yeah, 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 it is. Um, and the 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 basic idea is that reincarnation is real, but you are every single person who has ever lived. So you are okay. both Jesus and the people who crucified him. You're both okay. Hitler and the Jews who he killed. You are you are literally everyone. And so every okay. horrible atrocity that you've inflicted, you've inflicted on yourself. But every time, okay. every time that you're reborn, your memory is wiped. And so over the course of this process, you are basically like an embryo. You're an egg. You are a divine deity that is experiencing all of this stuff, all the horrible things and all of the wonderful things. And you are learning and growing through this process and realizing by doing these things to yourself, you are learning what it's like to experience this stuff. And so then by the wow. time you're born, you have the maturity of a god and you are now a part of these deities.
0: Wow. That's like a, a plot of Doctor Who. That is incredible. That's incredible. I'm gonna have to read that book, that that short mm. story. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: yeah it's not very long. Like you can you can probably sit down and read it in a sitting.
0: Yeah. Oh, awesome! Well, um, Thomas, I know you have another show to get to, uh, thank you so much for coming on Deep Drinks Podcast. I'm very drunk. Uh, i almost <laughs> finished the entire thing.
1: Um, thank you so
0: much. Um, you're you're
1: lucky pleasure. though, because like I was doing this on an empty stomach.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I have had two pieces of white t- white bread toast this morning. It's like nothing. Like I'm, 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 I'm surprised at how composed I am. But really, well, like, what,
1: you're drinking in the morning too, because we started this show at I think yeah. eleven o'clock your time.
0: I. I literally had my morning coffee half an hour before I started drinking this. Like, it was, yeah, it's wild. Um, but I thank you for taking the time to come on. It was, it's was, it been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'll leave all your links to your, um, in the description. Oh, God, I'm already chasing my words. I'll leave <laughs> all your links in the description, um, of course. Um, I'll leave your you want descriptions me- in the link. so I'll put all your stuff in the description I I recommend everyone check out um, uh, uh, Holy Kool-Aid's channel I'll leave some playlists that you've mentioned as well as some other videos that you've mentioned as well um, and the conversation that you had with EV slash Darth Dawkins uh, EF slash Darth Dawkins it really has affected me but thank you so much for coming on Thomas Um, it's been a fantastic um, conversation and remember everyone don't drink the Kool-Aid unless it's this because this is delicious
1: thank you David i